Iggy Pop. Amen. Let it rock. I'm a fucking idiot. Red meat, we crave sustenance. I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Jimmy Puppy. Why don't you have some fun? Fun, fun. Tommy, that's a pay thing. Whoever she is, I'm gonna find her and I'm gonna hurt her. I've spent the past three years learning Finnish. <laughs> I'm always home, I'm on cool. This is a process of dehumanization. Shut, 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 shut up! Hi, Hoff fans. Welcome to this very, very special edition of the P.S. I Love Hoffman podcast, our love letter to the remarkable career of the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm Brian Rodriguez. And I'm Kyle Reinfried. We're always home, we're always uncool, and we're always ready to talk great movies. Today, we're not chatting about a film, per se. We're chatting about the first third of Philip Seymour Hoffman's career. Yeah, we kind of broke up his career into, like, three acts. And we pretty much finish it with uh, Boogie Nights. And, beca- I mean, because, I mean, if obviously you've been listening, thank you. And with, like, the Twister, Heart 8, Boogie Nights combo, like, that was a big momentous part in his career. And if you look at it, actually, even in, like, numbers-wise, it is pretty even. Yeah, and that's the craziest thing, because c- we, when we just looked at the movies... The, like the IMDb list or the Wikipedia list or whatever list, because the lists do vary they by do year. Vary, yeah. We said, like, where did his career change, right? Like, where were the pivotal moments in his career? Mm-hmm. And if you look at, like, the two really pivotal moments, yeah. and we'll discuss the other one later, of course, but the first really pivotal moments is when he gets into that P.T. Anderson slash Twister's... Yeah. Twister uh, zone. I don't want to... Th- Repeat well, the again, suck zone again. No, 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 yeah. <laughs> the zone. It's just the films that made everyone, between those three, I mean, more Twister, Boogie Nights, between those two movies, again, that was like everyone from one or the other of those movies started recognizing him from public, everyone in his field of, you If know, you didn't know his actors. name, if you were in the industry at least, you at least recognized his face. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned it, Right now, numerically, it almost makes sense. Like, if we didn't even know at all and divided his career in mm-hmm. threes, that'd be one thing. But it's within, like, a three or four movie margin yeah. if you divide all his films in thirds. Yeah, so it just logically made sense to us to kind of throw you guys this special episode that we recap stuff, and we also have brought in uh, pretty much all of our guests back. Yeah, we chat with a lot of our friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just recap the earlier parts of his career, and we thought we would give this like the chance to look at his short film work. Yes. Now we're not really touching on his theater work because, frankly, I'm not a theater guy. Kyle, I know you're not a theater guy. No, I mean I respect it, but I <laughs> oh, know of course, of but course I know nothing, I. but I know nothing of it, and that's and this is it's a film podcast. We 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 would be it's an on screen yes a, a, a film slash TV yeah we'd be probably just as good as doing a geology podcast <laughs> as we would doing a theater podcast. Actually, Brian, I know quite. Are you a geologist? I am. I never, never knew. You had a rock polisher in your room. <laughs> oh, that's what that thing is for? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a pet rock or something. <laughs> Regardless, yeah. This this is our opportunity to just look at some of the shorter subjects that you might have seen on his IMDb. Mm-hmm. So, Kyle, I'm really excited to get started with the guest. And our first guest, is, appropriately, yes, is the co-founder of Cage Club Podcast Network. We've had him on before. We had him on for My Boyfriend's Back. 
He's the godfather, we call him. Yes. Joey Lewandowski. Mr. Joey Lewandowski. Hey, Joey, how's it going? Thanks for coming back on. Hi, guys. What's happening, Joey? Hi. So, we... Good yeah, good to have you, of course. Uh, <laughs> we, thank you, thank you. Uh, we brought you on for this um, kind of celebration of the first half of Philip Seymour Hoffman's career because you've kind of been on this journey with us, being the uh, founder, president of Cage Club Podcast Network. Sure, thank you, along with Mike. I don't, I don't want to distance myself from him. Co, We're yes, in this co, together, yes. He and I, yes. And, and we'll have him on of as course. well. You just have this... Yeah, you just have this very godfather kind of feel, Joey. <laughs> well, I like that. I appreciate that. <laughs> so he's my consul. If I'm the godfather, he's my consigliere. So I mean, it's it's one and one a, you know. So I, I hear you. Gotcha. I don't know who I fear more, but I guess we won't get in trouble. To figure that out. <laughs> I don't want a fish in a newspaper in front of my door. Don't open the door then today. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Joey, um, like I said, you've been along with on this uh, ride with us, kind of. Yep. What what were your impressions of like I guess the early part of his career? Because this is I guess for us the the part that we knew the least of, and it just sure. I mean, some crazy movies here, some crazy stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So the one thing that I noticed, I think I pointed out to you guys, was just how like I, I figure the early stuff in any actor's career is going to be obscure, but like really just how obscure a lot of the stuff that you've done so far has been. I mean, your last two were both, in terms of the film world, massive movies, both Paul Thomas Anderson movies. But the stuff leading up to that point, there's things you have to, like, import videos and, like, find stuff online and, like, do all this weird stuff that, like, when, when Mike and I did Cage and Keanu, it was like, you know, there was there was some stuff early in Keanu's career because it was, you know, Canadian TV and stuff like that that wasn't readily available. But for the most part, like, all that stuff was available pretty much on DVD. Like, it's not like we had to go really sort of out of the out of the way too far to find this stuff. And you guys have, like, gone, basically gone to Poland to find <laughs> some stuff that, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman's been in. I so, wish. I mean, like, I, I knew that, you know, every actor, I'm sure, who's who's done 40 or 50 or 60 things has been in stuff that's going to be, you know, on some level hard to find. But I'm sort of surprised at just how obscure a lot of this stuff really is. Yeah, that, that definitely took yeah, us by surprise. I mean, I mean we, we, there's still some of the shorter work we haven't been able to track down. Yeah, one thing was even nominated for an Academy Award, the short film that he was in. We can't find it anywhere. But, uh, I mean, I was happy that we found movies like The Yearling, you yeah. know, TV movie, even his Law & Order episode, I guess, just since, like, Dick Wolf is, like, part owner of the world. <laughs> his sure. stuff is yep. out there. Uh, but, yeah, when it came to In My Boyfriend's Back, which, obviously, you guess it on, you know, that I, I could have seen that being possibly hard to get. Even, so, the... the uh, we're going to be doing another one coming up, and I see that the DVD is for sale on Amazon for like $40. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> there, there, was, there was one movie that we did for Keanu, I think it was Permanent Record, where it's just like a generic sort of high school movie. It's about teen suicide, but the DVD's out of print, so we both had to spend like $30 on it <laughs> just because – like it's not a movie that's good. It's not a movie that people are trying to see, but just because it's not out there anymore, it's – it's expensive if you want to own it. And so, you know, whether you're trying to find it, because like, I, know, I know you guys don't necessarily buy everything, you might rent stuff or whatever, but like, 
just to, just in terms of getting some of this older stuff, like you know, as as you move along in his career, you're gonna have really no problem in terms of finding. I, I feel like if you run into any problems from here on out finding stuff, I'd be sort of surprised. You know, because he's 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 a bigger yeah. profile now. He's in bigger movies. He's in stuff that like won't really be lost to like VHS. Yeah, or we're whatever, also moving into the that DVD you're sort of world entering, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yep. We're getting to a point that it's like we're you know in next film is nine from 1998 so like brian just said dvd i mean we've had to buy as far as like hard copies brian's bought both and it was the vhs of joey breaker which was again brian what kind of version it was, was the, that? the that screening was like a, copy so like yeah the screening <laughs> copy yeah that's the only one and you can then, get. Like, uh, i've seen and, other copies on ebay and they're yeah. all the screening copies they might not have even released it on vhs like mainstream vhs yeah and then the and then the other one was and you had to get like a two for one DVD. It was the Call of the Wild and the Yearling, I guess, since they're you know yeah the like TV movie literary it was like what is it called the, the Disney TV Adventure movie. Pack? No, it wasn't Disney. It was just like Adventure Pack or something. It, yeah, classic. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Classic Adventure Pack or classic Adventure Collection. Oh, nice, nice. Well, that reminds me. Like I just bought um, the DVD is called Family Four Pack because I wanted to get. Uh, Frasier the Sensuous Lion or Frasier the Lovable Lion because they that was a big part of The Leftover Season 3 and so now I just have this like family four-pack of just like random-ass movies on my shelf just because I want to watch one of those movies. So <laughs> I think anybody who's really <laughs> hunted for specific things that are hard to find, you're going to have some of those weird multi-pack movies where there's yeah. no interest in the other stuff except for the one. Yeah, that, that's definitely, definitely. true. So um, any any other thoughts on his early career, maybe something you've seen since we've done the podcast or anything like that? Um, I'm, ex- I'm just mostly excited to see him in bigger things because it's still sort of surprising. I mean, it's still early in his career, but, you know, even these later movies, he's only been in a couple scenes. And so I'm waiting for him to really sort of, you know, take the reins. And I've, I haven't seen, or I, have, I haven't seen Twister in, like, I don't know, 15, you know what I mean? It was, it was a long time. And so when every guest came on here, they're like, oh, I saw him in Twister. In my head, I was building up that he was like throughout the movie, but it's not like, he's not like the lead, no. you know what I mean? No, like, he's just I'm a really memorable really be, guy. Yes. Like, I'm waiting for him to be like this leading role. Like the second movie, you know, it's it, obviously he's going to do this before the second movie that I'm on for, but like a movie like that where he's, you know, one of the, actually he's not, he's not even in that no. movie. No. <laughs> he's just, he's just, I don't know. Honestly, he's just an actor that I think, you know, I mean, well, in his early career, he was taking work to take work and build his craft. But then later on, I mean, it's just, oh, is this an interesting role? What can I do with this? And then he would, and then right. it, it wasn't about, you know, like how big the role is or if it was, you know, I mean, how many lines and who he was sharing it with. It was just how interesting, I think, it is. Yeah, you don't character. see him be a consistent leading man to the third act of his career. And even then, he's still not taking all, uh, you know, leading man no, roles. No, even no look fine. at his last yeah. movies, The Hunger Games. He's obviously not the star of that. No. Right. I'm just excited mostly for you guys, because, I mean, like, hearing about the movies themselves is good, but, like, when you guys actually are able to, like, dig into, like, who he is yes. in the movie and, like, his scenes or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, it's, it, there's there's more passion and there's more excitement there, both as a listener and for you guys. So I'm just excited for more things that, you know, in an hour-long podcast you can spend, like, 40 minutes talking about him as opposed to just, like, here's his one scene and, like, let's, like, you know, spend 10 minutes on it. But, like, 
that's it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I want I want him in in more I want him in more of these movies for your yes. sake, so that you can like really like <laughs> dig into what he's doing as opposed to like, well, he's got this one like you know three line speech at a pool table. And uh, that's it's it. a craps <laughs> table, no, sir. It's a craps. No, table. he was at a pool table, though. <laughs> no, 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 oh, no, I'm sorry. Triple bogey, triple bogey, triple bogey. Forgetting our oh, first one. Yeah, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an ass. I'm sorry, we Godfather. Such an idiot. But also, I mean, the same thing with the, the craps table. Yeah, like it's the same. I mean, he's just finding himself at these tables and just with these, you know, mini monologues. Yeah. And then you, it, it's hard to sustain a full hour-long podcast on that. But like, I would love to get to a point in his career for you guys where he's in half the movie or most of the movie or whatever, and you can sort of do your, you know, your ever more specific plot summary that you know Brian tempts you or taunts you into doing. Um, that you could do that and sort of you know capture most of the movie, and then the rest of the podcast is just like. All right, like he's in this a lot. Like, let's just talk about him. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's that's what I'm really excited for. Yeah. Like, we're getting there. There's definitely. We're, I mean, even yeah. no. There's definitely some films I'm really looking forward to. But what you're saying is what I'm looking forward to the most. Which, as far as our episodes have gone so far, I think Boogie Nights was even. And it's funny because it's the biggest like ensemble one and so much going right. on. But there's just like so much he did with that character, even in like in the, the scenes that he was in. So I felt like we got to talk about him the most and just kind of went around to like our other favorite scenes and just give a general yeah. you know, plot ideas. Absolutely. Yeah, we're also going to get some better movies too. Yeah. So we're not like yeah. struggling with like one, you know, this just crappy movies at times. I mean, I like talking about the crappy movies. Yeah, the 2000s were pretty good yeah, to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's in good films there. Even when he's not the main character, they're usually very good films. Which Mission Impossible is he Three. in? Three. J.J. Abrams directed. It's, it's the best one. Okay, yeah. cool. No, it, it really uh, Him as a bad guy in that movie is just like, oh, I, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love four and five, but three is the three is the best one. I mean, that's that's exciting because I sort of you know as as the thing has gone on, I must confess to you guys that I haven't been watching every. I've been listening to every episode, but I have not been watching the movie since about halfway yeah, through. But like <laughs> when yeah. when we get to a movie that I want to watch again or want to watch for the first time or whatever, I'm definitely gonna jump in there and just see what's going on with him. Um, yeah, like, so I'm I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna rewatch like you know Mission Impossible and all that sort of stuff like. Ooh, I can't! I can't wait. I'm excited. Yeah. Awesome, definitely. So are we. So, uh, what's anything new coming on uh, Cage Club? Anything we should be looking forward to? In the network, all around. So this episode comes out this week, right? Um, yeah. So we we're we're nearing the end of Keanu Club. We only have a couple episodes oh, left. No. We're nearing the end of Zack Attack. We only have a couple episodes left. That'll sort of stretch a little bit longer, just because it's monthly as opposed to weekly. We've got new stuff launching this fall that we have not announced yet. Mike and I are following up Keanu with an actor of similar stature, I guess, in terms of, like, people hate him, but <laughs> maybe wrongly, and we're going to set to figure that out. And then Joe 2 and I are going to follow up Zach Efron with two different wow. podcasts. Wow, look at um, you. Both, both monthly, and they're both similar to Zeph in terms of Hollywood hunk but also makes cool movies and stuff like that. So we'll announce both of those a little bit later this summer. But the other exciting thing is that Wistful Thinking. I know you guys mentioned that last week, I think, on the yes. podcast. But there's a new episodes of that every other week. It alternates with Now and Again. So both sort of nostalgia podcasts, you can listen to those. Yeah, both are great. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's, we've got at least four new shows launching this fall, awesome. and then one early next year. So there's lots of things to do. I just hope that people are out there downloading and listening. So... Joe, you know why I love you. 
when I oh. listened to Wistful Thinking, the passion you spoke with when talking about Casper was just <laughs> amazing. It brought me back. I it love brought Casper. me back to the Westwood movie theater when I saw that with my family. I just love Casper. <laughs> well, Joey, thanks so much yeah, for coming on. Thank you very on. much. Thank you guys. To when you come on again, is my is my next movie? It's in the final third of his career, right? It's not in the it's middle in the, third. It's in the final third. Yeah, it's in the right. uh, I guess middle, no, middle, middle of the, final third. Okay. Yeah. yeah so it's a so while. I'm a, I'm a I'm a I'm an innocent bystander for this middle third, but this is yeah. maybe the best third of his career. So well, we want to cool. get you and Mike to. To uh, oh, yeah. get on here and like do an episode together with us, another four person. So we might have you on yeah. before then, hopefully, right. hopefully. Cool, 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 yeah. cool. All right, thanks so much, Joey. Yeah, thanks, Joey. All right, bye, guys. Yeah, we really need to have him back before um, that episode. He's already on. Like, we need to have him in in the second third because of course we'll we'll make that Manzi Lewandowski one two combo. Yeah, happen. we need we need the the co-founders, the Godfather and the Consigliere together. Yeah. I just want to hear them. I want to find a very divisive film that they'll <laughs> yes. argue about. I would love to hear them argue. Yeah. You never hear them argue on their other episodes. But a little bit. You <laughs> a, little a little bit. bit. But I, I mean, like, I, I want, want to get, like, Jerry Springer. Yes, level. I want heated. I want the, I want the you know, the, the fire out of Manzi. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I put this question out to you. Like, now that we've seen all the films in the first third, what are the kind of roles he's taking on? I think we've mentioned it in some podcasts. Um, I mean, just from, I mean, we'll go with the first, like, big role of his, of Scent of a Woman. We're seeing, like, that preppy jerk, which he, again, will revisit in a film like Talented Mr. Ripley. And then Leap of Faith was kind of his first ensemble, like, group uh, movie, which then we got him again in Twister. Yeah, very similar there. Not, yeah. not the films, but just like barnstorming the, the heartland. <laughs> yeah, and then, I mean, Money for Nothing, I'd say, actually was one of his also, like, it's a simple, but it's like a good dramatic role, and we'll get those, like, in definitely some future films. And then I guess, you know what? The Yearling was a real real character yeah. which we'll definitely visit in future films. I mean, Cold Mountain definitely comes to mind just because it's another it's like a southern character. Well, but yeah, it's fair to say he's yet to play the lead. Oh yeah, no, we're definitely that's what I cannot wait for like the most. Yeah, and we've talked to some people who I guess prefer him in the supporting roles. Well, you know what? I mean, in the end I think also just the general from critics and audiences maybe felt that way because we do see that he was nominated once and won once for best actor, but he was nominated three times for supporting actor. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. So it's just something, you know, that's something that was happening in his career. And I, I mean, just in the end, I think, those side characters, those supporting characters just tend to be more interesting and, you know, meaty for him to play with. Well, when we first talked about doing this, me and you, we kind of uh, looked at his IMDb. There were a lot of movies we didn't know, as we said, but we kind of saw like a slow build of what he would become. Yes. And that's something that really attracted us to just doing this podcast just seeing that like he would play these characters, these memorable characters, but the small characters, and then kind of build up where 
eventually he's a Hollywood leading man. Of course. I mean, unlike our counterparts at Cage Club, Nick Cage, come on. I mean, he was I mean, he was Hollywood royalty and then just right from the get-go was in some of these big films and then his career starring is, in them. And, and yes, and starring in them, not only being in them, but starring in them. And Philip Seymour Hoffman by all means was just like that slow boil, which I mean, he paid his dues still at this point of his career as far as we've gotten definitely still paying his dues but taking these characters that again critics and audiences alike are noticing him yeah and that, we've again, covered two of the most like films that people recognize him for yeah especially we always ask that question to our guests when do you first recognize him and Twister Boogie the, Nights and, Twister Boogie Nights it's towards the end of this period mm-hmm. if not then it's towards the end of the next period yeah with Along Came Polly and films like that mm-hmm. but this is the first time the wider audience is, is starting to see him. The first like big splash he's made. We brought Jenny O'Connell, of course. Yes, yes, she's practically another. Uh, yes, yeah, she's she'd sorts. be the third member at this point. Yes, so we're gonna travel back to a magical time of 1991, where uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman got his start on. Dun, 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 dun. I'd come in with a nice sax now, but you know what? No, no. The freaking season one yeah. does not have that good of it like a sax. It doesn't. The it doesn't OG. have that good of anything. It, I'm so disappointed. It doesn't have Jerry Orbach, where I'm like, where? Where is Jerry? Like, Sam where Waterson. is Sam Watterson? It's only the one, like... Like, I know guy. Chris Knopf, but... The chief guy. It's yeah. not like I actually care about Sex in the City, so I'm just like, <laughs> you! <laughs> cool. So, Jenny, what we're alluding to here, we brought you back to discuss not only uh, the early stuff of Philip Turner Hoffman, but this Law & Order episode he did, which this actually it predates his film. Yes. Hmm. This so is, this is his first role This here. is him achieving yeah. actor dream of being <laughs> on Law and Order, you know, and he got he got a really good deal. Like I mean, he's playing the worst. Like he's just a douchebag. Like there is <laughs> no sympathy whatsoever. Yeah, and Law and Order has this history, right, of like unknown actors who become big who right. play rapists. Yeah, or like it's like are you playing a rapist? Are you playing a dead body? Are you playing, you know, like the the like sassy mechanic that doesn't know what's going on? Are you a jogger in the park? Like season one, season episode one. fourteen, Law and Order, the violence of summer. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the name of this episode. You can just if you have a Law and Order DVD or a VHS yep. or something, or or you could also rent it on Amazon. You could like see this bucks, yeah. this one episode. Oh, actually, you have to buy it. Yeah, you could rent it. No. Whatever. I mean, I pleasantly yeah. on this episode. Personally, I think is... you should just go to the dump, dig through, you know, just with a shovel, and try to find this episode on a VHS. That's in usually a how a Law and Order episode starts. True. So that'll yeah. be appropriate. This is like OG Law and Order. This is actually before like OG Law and Order. Yeah, this is yeah. like, I didn't even realize these characters were on Law and Order before. Same. Yeah. There was like only two people. I mean, I recognize some of the other actors, but yeah. as far yeah. as like the people from early on Law and Order. Well, the captain from SVU. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's oh, true. yeah. He's SVU. Is, yeah. is on this on as this. like a similar And then one role. of the attorneys is still like, she right. moves on later on. I think she's like a judge. Right. And yeah, yeah. She becomes a judge. You're right. Yeah. She does. I think SVU has more staying power. True. So like a lot of, I guess, our generation is more familiar with that one. Yeah. Regardless. So 
I guess we could just run this episode quickly. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays like a gang rapist, like yeah, a drug addicted gang like rapist. It's like Philip Seymour Hoffman and his super douche, you know, just garbage people friends. And like, I think his you know, friend his... is the guy from Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, right? I oh, think really? so. <laughs> I didn't catch yeah, that. Yeah, and, and they're all just awful. Like, they are just the fucking worst. And his first line is like, don't be stupid, don't be dead in the court. And I'm like, oh my God, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you're, you're killing it here. <laughs> do we want like... to play the clip? Oh, why not? Why not? Let's play this clip. Yeah. Yep, that's a dou- <laughs> that is a douchey guy. Yeah, like he will he will eat you alive. Like he's not his character is like not admirable, but like Philip Seymour Hoffman is just like goddamn. <laughs> and, and and whatever, it's like one of these things where it's like your typical Law and Order plot, except it's more. I don't know, maybe because it's dated, but like I feel like the cops are a little grimy here. They're super grimy, though. I the will say, class New York cops. <laughs> but they, they like try to like screw people over, and again, we're not going to go through this plot. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it's it's like basically what you would kind of expect, <laughs> except there is the pleasant surprise of Samuel L. Jackson oh, or yeah, yes. Samuel Motherfucking Jackson. You know, <laughs> so like guess, again, this isn't this is the first. Well, he's not in a scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman. But then they are together in uh, Heart Eight. Heart Eight. Yes. Yeah. So, so they actually share a scene in this film. In, I mean, yeah. in, this, in, in this episode, in this I, I felt so bad because I'm like, oh, Sammy J, you gotta defend these douchebags. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. so sorry, you know. Like, what, what white nonsense are you dealing with? <laughs> you know. It's funny because he's like that Johnny Cochran style lawyer. Yeah. Oh, totally. But he's defending these like just garbage people white junkies <laughs> better word yeah so so his other big scene also is like the car confession scene yeah we don't have to like play that if you don't want right it. no no nah. it's just it's it's nice to see him this early yeah it was yeah, it was a nice trip down like memory lane of like slender young like future ahead of him mm. you know and he plays a crackhead in this. He Which does. I didn't, I mean, from the first scene, it's in a courtroom, and I wasn't, I mean, maybe they were sharing that via dialogue, but he was like, he looked, again, like preppy to me. I'm yeah, just to he, him. Yeah. It reminded like me of a woman. Of a woman. Yeah, yeah, since yeah. he's in a courtroom, and he's got a suit on, and he's younger. Like, the other guys, he's like, the because they're trying to frame their one friend, who's, he's like, I'm only 17, yeah, but they'll try you as an adult. And so I thought it was just like, high school prep kids that, Oh, yeah, I thought it was, like, NYU prep douchebag kind of No, but it ended... Yeah, I thought the same thing, but it ended up being... No, then the cops go, and it's just, like, yeah, them, like, sitting on the side of the road, just, you know, like, by, like, a bunch of, you know, smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Interesting role. Um, Had he been to rehab at this point? Yes. So he's coming out of that, and he's taking, like, a drug addict role. So for him, this is not, oh, let me just do a bullshit law and order thing. You know, this is like, I guess something he could kind of sink his teeth into as a young actor. He's a meth ed actor? (laughs) Wow. Wow. Do you you need to go back into the the bathroom and put lotion on your skin? Because... That's in the future, Jenny. Oh, yeah. (laughs) This is true. Fuck. (laughs) Go forward into that. That's how it starts. (laughs) We end this episode with that. Now we're going to have continuity between episodes like that. (laughs) Right. Um, So we'll just get back into this. So, yeah, I mean, the cool thing about seeing this is just like, Early Philip Seymour Hoffman, early Samuel Jackson, early Law and Order episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. On a show that gives like many a people chances, and you know, you get some gems from it. Like 
a Philip Sinner Hoffman and a Samuel L. Jackson. If you're a Law and Order fan, definitely check it out. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's Law and Order. Like, Dick it's, Wolf. Exactly. It's playing on TNT somewhere right now. You never see season one, though, playing True. Anywhere. And then yeah. maybe there's a reason for that, but yeah. it did start a whole franchise of... This is back when people were still like, what is that dun-dun? Like, yeah, it was just true. like people were like getting like chills and goosebumps. <laughs> but, like I remember as a kid, like that scared me. Like that, you know, played like because the law night. was about to be laid down yeah. and some order was yep. about to be. I didn't like. I mean, I, I, I hope that you people know. you know like heard that dun dun and like you know heard like listen to the song and be like you know what this needs I need some saxophone yeah. like <laughs> and right then there. a little like at the end of it exactly whimsical. Mm-hmm. Law and Order is indeed a whimsical show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, when I think Law and Order, I think whimsical. Especially Criminal Intent with Vincent D'Onofrio. Oh, God. Like, I'm Vincent D'Onofrio, and with me is the teacher aide from Mighty Ducks 2. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. So, Jenny, you've been with us. You've done um, a couple of episodes, too. And you've done two episodes with us. Final thoughts on Philip Seymour Hoffman's The First third of his career part one okay part one yes yeah i mean i'm i'm terrible at coming up with puns so i wish i could like you know come up with something a little bit more clever to like dub his career like you know the philip seymour hoffman strikes back like you know the hoffmaning like whatever you know but i can't so i think he has a really solid like first career like i'm envious like he got some like really good opportunities and he ran with them like I, I really appreciate that from such a an early point that he was really committed to growing as an actor. Like, he didn't do, like, the same sort of tics and be like, oh, look at me, I'm Jesse Eisenberg, I'm an asshole, uh, like, you know, kind of thing. But tell us how you really feel. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I appreciate that. It's like he, he was put into these, like, very specific types, but, you know, he'd be like, he wouldn't treat, you know, every, like, preppy asshole the same, or, like, every, like, I'm just an everyman mechanic, you know, like, part the same, or crackhead addict the same, or, like, you know, he he has some variety. I, I respect it. Yeah, like, really, in his roles, his characters, and then just from the actors that he's gotten to work with, from mm. your Pacino's to even Newman. a bad movie that I keep saying is bad, 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 My New Gun, but Diane Lane. You True. Know, like, he's just in some great movies with some great actors. So, which movie are you looking forward to most in the next chapter of his career? Ooh, Ooh Big Lebowski. Or Almost Famous. It's a tie. Ooh. Yeah, those two we're going to get in the, the next third, and yes. we're super excited about those as well. So excited. As so. you should be. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, Jenny, for coming on this Yay, very special you. episode, and Yay. look forward to having you on in the future. In fact, we're going to have oh, yeah. you on very, very soon. So. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> Guys, check that one out. Always love to have Jenny on the podcast. Yeah. So crazy. I guess it's not crazy. I mean, it's really common that you see like someone get their start in Law & Order. No, how about that? I mean, you just got... One of the greatest, and we also got again Samuel Jackson in that episode as well. So I'm, I'm happy though. I did not expect to see Law and Order episode when we, were, when we first started this podcast. So I'm yeah, happy. and now we both own it because that's what we had to do to watch it. So <laughs> yes, that what, is true. What a treat! We both own one episode of season one of Law mm -hmm. and Order. So out of all these films, I'll ask you: What is your favorite performance of his in in, <sighs> in this first third that we're uh, talking about now? Yeah, you know what? I mean, it's a pretty obvious answer, but I'm going to have to go with uh, Scotty J from Boogie Nights and then Dusty from Twisters. So some of our 
last couple of episodes and you know i mean that's no surprise it's no coincidence he's taking these roles that are more entertaining and he's in the film a lot more i'll ask you this question because i mean i agree boogie nights and twister that's what does it for me as well i'll ask you this question then what was the i guess most pleasant surprise biggest surprise with an early performance of his um, well, since I gave two answers for the last one of favorite, I'll give two answers for pleasant surprise. And first I'll go with, uh, the yearling and then I'll go with triple bogey. Oh, triple bogey. Well, so his first role is a pleasant surprise for you. Yeah. You know what? I mean, it was a pleasant surprise because for a, you know, first, first role and a film I didn't expect much from, he was entertaining in the minute that he was in it, you know? It was just he it it was just really fun to see from his first theatrical role that he was at that point already Philip Schumer Hoffman. Even if he wasn't being credited if whatever he was at that point, Phil Hoffman, Philip Hoffman, but he was playing it as Philip Schumer Hoffman. Like Actually, I mean, that, that's a good point. I had wrote down The Yearling as well, because mm-hmm. I didn't expect anything from that movie, and I didn't yeah, expect TV anything, movie. Yeah. TV movie, anything from that performance. Look, I'm always going to expect something from a Philip Seymour Hoffman performance, but I didn't expect, he, like I think I said in that episode, he could have easily mailed it in. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, TV movie, and he was good. remake, and he was, he was great, I thought. This one's going to surprise you, but one of that's like surprised me with his performance, believe it or not, is another early one. It's Schuler, actually. And maybe not the way he acts or whatever. Yeah. But it's the fact that he's in that movie for so long. Hard, to, hard to, for us to really yeah, understand. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was looking at that, uh, and I was going to say that, but it's just like, it, it just the, obviously the whole dubbing and everything like that just made me... <laughs> takes it away. Yeah, it takes it away. I, I I can understand that. Takes me away from Schuler. <laughs> Schuler. So speaking of Schuler, and we said this during that podcast, we looked through like lists of people who had seen all his films, and they just said, "This one you can't find. This one, you know, just forget." We covered it, it though, and we did it. So hooray for us! But we brought in the big guns as a special treat for you people. Yeah, because we were discussing this with one of the Cage Club co-founders. Michael Manzi. Of course. And he had a little tidbit about this episode, so we're like, we were going to bring him on anyway. Yeah. So, without further ado, let's hear what Mike Manzi has to say about Schuler and, and some other things. How's the peeping? No. <laughs> <laughs> you tell us. Yes. Uh, Michael good. Manzi, welcome. <laughs> welcome back. How you yes. been? Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a while. I'm what, what, what am I doing here? <laughs> I'm not so sure, what, what, actually. What are any of us doing here? <laughs> and that's the what question we're answering point, today. Is what I asked myself after watching the new Mummy movie. <laughs> wow. Oh, you okay. saw it? Yeah. Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> and, and? And what are your and thoughts? It, you know, uh, it's pretty weak. I not, say, not, like, not, not a fan not of the Dark ins- Universe yet? If it was its own thing, I could understand it being kind of like this cool one-shot sort of teenager like market movie, but now that you know they're going for this expanded dark universe thing, they even it goes from the universal logo into the new dark universe logo. Really? And it's just like, oof, they're putting all their eggs in the basket here. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, time will tell. We'll see what the what what does the foreign market think. Well, <laughs> speaking of foreign markets, that's what you're here to talk about. Ooh. 
Look at that segue. Okay. I'm impressed with myself. Kyle, you ruined, you ruined the natural segue. I, you, that's a good segue, but... That was a beautiful... I hopped on that. But I didn't no. properly introduce him. Okay, so properly in, in, introduce him, but now we know we're going to talk about something foreign. <laughs> <laughs> so, foreign pornography, Michael Manzi. <laughs> oh, man. Well-versed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, if you don't know by now, you haven't been... Uh, on Cage Club at all, but this is Michael Manzi, Cage Club co-founder, co-host of Cage Club, Keanu Club, I'm sure some wonderful mm-hmm. other things in your own... Upcoming things too, secret things at this point, I guess. Yeah, yes. yeah, uh, Joey kind of teased us about that, we're definitely excited Ooh. for those announcements. So, first first uh, third of Philip Merhoffman's career, you've been on this journey with us too, uh, do you have mm-hmm. any any thoughts um. Yeah. So I've listened to every episode. I love. I love the show. Thanks. I Thank think you. you guys have you know great dynamic, um, good guests and everything. Guests have uh, are good on the show, so uh, it's very entertaining. And I I don't know if it helps that I'm just such a huge Hoffman fan. <laughs> like oh, I just want to hear people talking about him. Yeah. Um, but you guys do it very well. So Thank first, you. I just wanted to get that out of the way. Thank you. Thank you. Um, kind words. You're welcome. Always good to hear and, praise uh, from Papa. <laughs> my children <laughs> my illegitimates um, but I I, um, I was actually like yeah I actually learned a lot about this part of his career um, tons of stuff I'd never heard of I had only really knew the mainstream like super mainstream stuff like I didn't even know about the movie the episode that I was on Money for Nothing right and like mm-hmm. that's like a John Cusack film when he was like a really big star. So like, uh, yeah, uh, it's been, it's been interesting, like learning about, uh, stuff that he's done coming up and, and hearing how sort of, uh, PT Anderson is just like, you know, took that instant shine to him and, you know, decided I'm going to make this guy my, my star. He's like almost like his De Niro to Scorsese, uh, in a way. It's, yeah, it's really cool to see that. I was not really aware of like how close they work together from way back. And uh, yeah, so it's it's been a lot of fun listening. I, I, I'm having a good time going on this journey. I like the pod. Yeah, it's it's just it's really fun. And thank you. That's very nice of you to say. But yes, it's just really it's re- it's really fun to see like a, one of the greatest character actors like of all time start like see him from like the roots up. Literally, actually, honestly, like even like planting the seeds and then seeing it just like grow and him paying his dues and. Uh, yeah, it's just I'm just glad people are enjoying it. Yeah, it's it's nice when we've had the actors on, you know, and like they can even like relay that they noticed him working on this crap because we're, we're you know we're film guys, but we're like film watching guys of anything you might call us production guys. I mean, not me, but from an actor's point of view, like the 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 fact that they're verifying that is is also pretty cool. I think like that's something that I've I've enjoyed so far doing this. Yeah, and I liked. Um, I I also thought it was interesting how he he, he like kind of has all these tricks in his bag already. Like you know he's doing different things in a lot of those early movies, but it's all like you could still recognize him as the actor behind it all. Like I feel like he's got like all this range at the beginning already that we're seeing uh, is really going to explode later in his career where he can basically do anything. I feel. Yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, like I I can't wait to like refer. 
like we're going to watch a film that we've all seen before with him in it and then like refer back to something he did in a film we hadn't seen earlier in his career mm-hmm. and be like wow maybe he like developed that character there yeah he's just taking this like like a slew of like talked about like pretty different characters and i think it's just mm-hmm. really i mean it just it did it's not like i wonder it did pay off in the long run for him and just like crafting these like different personalities just from i mean just you know from his different like dialects <laughs> like does in the roles from <laughs> well, scott scotty J to his you know uh high school goon to his New Yorker. Yeah, his, his Gatsby impression, right? Like, I love, <laughs> I love him in the private school sector. But, yeah, you could just see it in between the two PTA movies he does, right? Like, he on PTA knew, it's like, his performances couldn't be more different between Hardy Definitely, and Boogie yeah. Nights, right? Yeah, and, like, that's what I'm talking about, like, right there. It's like, the dude can just, he's all over the map, and he can do it all. Awesome. Yeah, def- definitely agree with that. So, Kyle, you alluded to to a foreign foreign topic we were going to discuss. Yes. So, well, uh, Mike, I'm going to let you get into it. But when we did the mm-hmm. episode of Shula, Shula, Shula uh, <laughs> we mentioned on it our curiosity of this one man dubbing, and then I spoke to you after and. I mean, get into it. You said you were like, I know, yeah. I, like, you know, like, it just happened this to work is, <laughs> out, right? This is pretty weird. Yeah. This Time is pretty funny. This is like, this is why I love this show, because it, it gave me a reaction like this. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there listening to Schuler and you guys start talking about, you know, the overdub, and you're like, the guy's just talking over the movie in a different language. And I'm like, this sounds familiar. I know this somewhere. And then you played, like, a clip. And it clicked, and I was like yelling at the podcast. I was like, I know, I think I know what's going on here. I think I know what's up. I got to talk to these guys as soon as possible. Uh, so it's really, I'm really glad you have me on the air for this. Uh, and, and I hope this is relatable somehow. Oh, definitely but, is, definitely. Yeah, I think this is, I think this might be the answer. So um, a few years back, there was this documentary that came out I saw on Netflix called Chuck Norris versus Communism. First off, awesome and, title. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, how can't you watch that? It, it's from 2015. It's a Romanian-British documentary. Now, I'm reading this quickly just, like, off Wikipedia. Um, the film's about the illegal importation of American action and religious films on VHS cassettes to Romania in the late 70s and 80s, which the filmmakers believe contributed to the fall of the communist dictatorship. Anyway, the film basically, what it does is it follows, like, the... Citizens of the then Soviet Union who had these underground tapes that were American VHSs overdubbed in, you know, in basically in Polish. So um, I'm having trouble. Give me a second here to collect. I'm like getting overexcited. So basically what happened is, like, these American tapes would be smuggled into the Soviet Union and one lady would sit there in a room and watch the tape and then basically translate it live. Most of the time it was live because she only had like a certain amount of time to do this. And then that tape would be bootlegged and copied and circulated around the Soviet Union. And that's how a lot of these people from like Poland and Romania and like Lithuania and all those countries saw American American films. They were basically overdubbed translated by this one lady and her name I have here it was Irina Margareta Nistor. Oh I didn't even get the middle name I just said it. 
Uh, and she was the primary person doing this. And you well, know, she, she was did, doing uh, it for the government, right? And then she... okay, so yeah, so that was like a big. I think that was like a twist in the documentary is the idea that she was employed by the government because they wanted to see these tapes and then they would sort of sneak them out and make copies and they would go on the black market and get circulated around. Uh, And after a while, it just got so big that they had to employ at least one more person. And on the documentary, they mentioned a guy and a guy's voice and they have him on it too. So there was that, you know, there were several people doing this kind of thing at the time. And, you know, I think did Schuler Schuler came out after the fall of the Soviet Union. Yeah, you know? yeah. So and it's it, not it, like it, this practice was absolutely necessary. Well, when but was I the fall of like the Soviet it, Union? Ninety one. I mean, it depends because you know Romania was not a part of the Soviet Union. Neither was Poland, but they were certainly in the Eastern Bloc. So it was between you know between eighty eight and like ninety three, everything fell. Um, but no, I think you hit the nail nail on the head here in terms of like this was just the culture of the Eastern Bloc. Like, as simple as just, like, yeah. the one person dubbing. Exactly. Like, I feel like it's just as, you know, even when they didn't need to resort to sneaking around later on, it just was part of the culture, and every American film was just, you were used to hearing it translated by one person, just re- basically, like, reading it to you. That was one of the more fascinating things I found, was that, like you said, it got so big that they had to employ, like, another person, this guy, and in this documentary, all these, like, different people from the community that we've met for the past, like, 45 minutes or whatever. Whatever, all start all all of a sudden start saying like, wait, this is like not a real copy. <laughs> it's not a real copy of the not real copy, and they missed like Irina. Like they're like, this isn't real. Where right. is she? Where'd she go? Yeah, you, know, you like, mentioned the documentary. I checked it out, and yeah, that was, it was a great documentary. Yeah, all you really, guys definitely check it out. It's on Netflix. I, I I loved it. Like it just starts off like with I think the first film that they start talking about that they saw was like Dirty Dancing, and then like you know and like people are like oh it's like so provocative the way when she's like shaking her dress and stuff like that, and then I the one guy was like I saw Top Gun thirty eight times. <laughs> it's like yeah, I not I mean, only that but like through like a triple copy right like a piece of shit like yeah copy that's a whole thing it, yeah they don't care it's all you could get your hands on and. And wow, like my it really opened my eyes to like it just made how me so thankful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like I mean I mean I think it's all safe to say that we're all all are on the verge of being like, you know, like cinephiles. And so mm-hmm. it's just definitely interesting and inspiring to see what they had to go through to be entertained and just to and just to know that there's something else out there versus this like kind of this cold regime that they had going on in their country. Yeah, yeah. So Mike, like this this enlightening us to this film like was twofold for mm-hmm. me. Cuz one, I definitely could draw the line to Poland. This this was definitely happening in Poland as well, and even if this came out after the fall, it's still that was their culture whereas again, when we watch a dubbing of something, they they use different voices for every character almost, you know. They were just used to that there. This might have been the guy who did it in Poland. Yeah. But the second thing was, when after watching this documentary, I realized what those people were doing were kind, was kind of essentially what we were doing a little bit, me and Kyle, in terms of watching Schuler, which is, it wasn't a bootleg copy, but it might as well have been, because there was, like, scenes cut out, and, mm-hmm. like, it wasn't the greatest quality, and, and we had to deal with, like, a dubbing of another language. And it was just... 
It's like we went into a time machine to like just after the the fall of communism in Poland and watched this film. <laughs> yeah, you was, got the you got a piece of the experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it was crazy. Like in this, people, you have to watch. It's on Netflix. Watch this documentary, Chuck Norris versus Communism. It's, it's a awesome. little little side homework. A little yeah. Non- like, I, like I can only the only way I could like really think about it now is if your your friend basically talked over like Akira. You know, and you had never seen Akira before, but like your friend is just doing every voice in America. Yeah, well, this is almost like the, you know, like the, what are those, like when you get like an audio book. Yeah, exactly. But But imagine an audio book with another language going on, uh, uh, like with it, you know, it's not. Yeah, underneath (laughs) it, yeah. Yeah, underneath it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I found really interesting was that she worked for the government in the beginning, and they kind of, you know, like, were in charge of what films can be shown, what can't be shown, and even what parts have to be cut out. And one of the things was that there was, like, too much food on screen in, like, different movies, from a convenience store to, like, a buffet at, like, a country club, and they just, they're like, no, we can't show America as the land of prosperity. (laughs) Yeah, the censorship is just, like, like, mind-boggling at times, like, realizing, like, oh, man, like, I couldn't believe, like, just how strict that all was, you know? I mean, that's a communist government for you, I suppose, but it's just, like, they really are, there's, like, no arts and entertainment out, you know, that they were exposed to. Yeah, at least It's no wonder that, arts. like, yeah, and it's no wonder that, like, these tapes started getting leaked by high-ranking officials, you know? It's, yeah. like, that's sort of, like, how deep... Like, the suppression of the arts and stuff was, I guess, that even, like, the people in charge are like, well, you know, like, it can't be that harmful, and, like, you know, like, <laughs> we're, it's just a law, like, it's we're just kind of, like, it's whatever, but I just found that funny, is that how it, it, it leaked from, like, the top, and then sort of when someone was caught with a tape, you, you know, you, were, you weren't really thrown in prison or anything. It was kind of like a blind eye. It was just like a slap on the wrist. So it was almost like, yeah, we know these things shouldn't be censored, but, you know, we have this kind of government, so we got to do what the government yeah. says. And it's almost the like they said, like, we get why you're doing it. We want to do it yeah. too, you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> if they did a huge crackdown, they would lose the uh, ability to watch those movies as well, so... Yeah, plus I'm sure they're ranking in so much cash. Just oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that one guy like lived in like ended up living in a mansion. He started out with like two VCRs, and at the end, he's like, I had 360 VCRs, and these VCRs <laughs> cost as much as cars and stuff like that. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. It's a business. It's like factory equipment, you know, mass producing these. I wonder though if you went like I, I would love to to watch like a copy of Die Hard from then, you know, with the with the voiceover and the horrible <laughs> image uh, and everything. I wonder if awesome. you could get any of these on eBay or anything and try and like have like a you know stage a movie night in Brooklyn at some bar where you show like films of uh, films from Poland during this time period. That, Actually, you know, now that you mention that, like. Uh, I was on the Lower East Side the other day, and they have like a couple film societies there, like from like the old theaters when that was like a huge um, film community out there. I mean, I guess it still is. And they did have like a a Polish night where where they <laughs> they had filmed. I didn't look into it, but I wonder if they were doing that. That that would be really cool to see. You're right about that. Do you guys like they you know? It was, you know, I mean, they had a range of movies. It was just what was really popular. It seemed like they were seeing some stuff from the 70s, but it was mostly 80s because it was that time. Mm-hmm. And obviously those movies were coming out on, like, VHS and that that format. But 
you know, a lot of action films. Do you think they they never discuss it in the documentary? You think they they saw Red Dawn? Because boy, talk about like coming <laughs> like that would be something that like as a government, you know, trying to control your country, I would not want my citizens to like see. That would be you know. I'm sure crazy. they did because that would just make it all the more uh, salacious. I would say equally as salacious would be um, what what's the one they saw? Jesus of Nazareth. You know where they're trying to. Uh, they mention that a lot in the film, and the, that one is equally what they would want to like oppress there, and they mm. showed that one, so I would not be surprised if they showed Red Dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a feeling it was like the Wild West that it was just you know people would come over with tapes and whatever they brought would just you know spread like wildfire. I don't really feel like it got. I mean, they didn't censor these tapes. You know what I'm saying? Like they censored the stuff they broadcast on mm-hmm. national television and everything. But these tapes all slipped through the cracks because they weren't even supposed to be there in the first place. So you know, and there's even that moment where she's like, you know, I would have to dub them live. I've never seen these movies before, and someone would give me the tape and the microphone and set up the other tape, and then they take both tapes away from me. <laughs> they can't be new stuff. This was so this... I don't. No, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, so I don't. So I don't think that they really you know, edited any of this stuff or, or really, it was just like, whatever we could get our hands on, let's just, let's just consume it. Yeah. So go, going from that, as far as like changing things, she seemed to actually, Irina had a little bit, was a little reserved and she wouldn't really curse. I think she, at most she would say like maybe son of a bitch or something like that, but yeah, they were yeah, showing, they were showing stuff from Scarface and she was just saying, or, you know, like what, what was her big thing? Like hell or, you know, go to hell, I think. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of like that would be her go-to curse, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they showed Scar. Yeah, ex- exactly. Scarface, which you know had like at one point the most like you know f bombs in a movie. Uh, you know, <laughs> what, well, whatever all the other ones were, it was just really funny. You know, but they loved. That's what they loved about her, and they didn't even know what she looked like. These people just had. I love that in the beginning. There's just this mystery and like mythos almost to her mm-hmm. as far as and the and the and one of the last things i want to say about this documentary because people just need to watch it is that they pretty much like act a lot it's it's, it's a weird combination of a lot of recreations in this documentary mm-hmm. and then the interviews but then we don't see the real people till like the end we just hear a lot of voiceover yeah, yeah it, it helps keep with the mystery certainly yeah no it was really i really like that and it was just cool like to see all these people saying like i think she's a brunette oh i think she's a blonde oh i think she was like cooking while she was making these you uh-huh. know like. yeah so i mean definitely you want to check this out it's on netflix chuck norris what is it chuck norris versus communism chuck norris versus communism yeah okay that's what i thought chuck norris versus yeah. communism aka american movies help inspire and win romanian revolutions yes i guess <laughs> um also, for reference on what we're talking about, maybe you want to listen to our Schuler podcast if you hadn't already. I can't imagine that's one of our more popular podcasts because no one had heard about that movie. But definitely listen and check that one out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And now, you know, I believe the mystery of Schuler is solved. Schuler. <laughs> Mike, can we get you do your best Schuler? <clears throat> Schuler. Oh, that was really good. That was really good. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, you do anything interesting back at a cage club? Anything interesting lately? (laughs) (laughs) Lately, anything anything our fans should check up, uh, check out. Well, uh, about Cage Club podcast, you know the actual Cage Club podcast itself, not the network. We're waiting for a couple release dates before we get these Cage movies. I'm really bummed because there's this movie called Vengeance: A Love Story that's been out 
in the UK since like the end of March. But since it's not out in the American home market and hasn't been released on demand or anything, we won't cover it yet, you know. But it's out there, and it's really bothering me that it hasn't been released <laughs> in America because I need to want to get to watching that. It's called what? Vengeance: A Love Story. Vengeance: A and Love Story. I believe, wow. <laughs> well, I believe he he's like some kind of rogue cop that goes after these rapists, and it's one of those. But it seems pretty cool. I'm just I'm just jonesing for New Cage, and uh, I'm waiting for that. There's like four other Cage movies that are supposed to come out this year, but it's we're already in June, so I'm a little worried. <laughs> we, did, we did get like five movies at the end of last year, so who knows what could happen. Um, so that's what's happening with that cast. With Keanu, we're we're wrapping up Keanu soon as far as um, what's been released. We're going to be recording the John Wick 2 episode really soon. And then um, that's it until the Bad Batch comes out uh, in theaters. And then I don't know if we'll do a theatrical review of that. But when that comes out on, on uh, home video, we'll get back up with the Keanu. And we got a couple other things brewing over there. I'm not sure if I can mention it. But, you know, just because Keanu's ending and Cage is sporadic doesn't mean... Um, that's the end of me. Uh, like it or not, you'll be able to hear me on a couple more episodes starting up in the fall. Yeah, you're going to be coming on soon. You're going to be peeping on our uh, episodes. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. I yeah. can't wait to do that. And, and uh, hopefully I won't get my head bashed in with a uh, <laughs> with something. By, Some kind by, of stone uh, globe or something. Yeah, it was like a head or, yeah, bust. No, oh, yeah, it was a bust, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a lot. We'll get there. But Spoiler, I, enjoy, I actually, yes, I like that movie. <laughs> Well, they don't know what we're talking about yet. <laughs> I like that. I but like that movie. I like the movie. The it's a good movie. It's a good picture. <laughs> yes, nice little tease there. I'll be looking forward to uh, definitely coming back here a couple times. Yes. Well, thanks so much, Mike, for all your support and all the love you've shown us and for coming on. Uh, really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, you're welcome. Awesome hearing from you. Thank you very much for enlightening us and educating us. Yeah, I'm glad I could help. <laughs> Seriously, that guy knows his. He's movies. our librarian of sorts. Yeah, yeah. If, if, like, if there was like a arch- archive, yeah, of film. Oh, I know there's like an archive film, but like for us, for you us, know, yeah. Like he, if we can employ someone, like when we can't find something or like we never heard of something, we ask Mike Mancy. Yep. And he educates us, so I'm so happy he pointed out that documentary. He's the human, like he's the walking human version of the Criterion Collection. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair. But yeah, like again, I'm really happy he pointed out that documentary. I've probably said it a million times, but check it out. Um, it's really cool. So, Kyle, I was thinking of some other things we could talk about on this this podcast where we celebrate the first third of Philip Sumer Hoffman's career. And something I noticed that we mentioned just before is that he's a part of some great ensembles. He's never the lead, mm-hmm. but he's he's a good part of these casts, yeah, right? Definitely. Um, any thoughts on that? Favorite ensembles? Places you saw him where you're like, wow, he really worked here, or like... This cast was awesome for him and built around him well. Yeah, again, I mean, because he's somebody I mean, that plays characters, but then, you know, memorable characters, and they do stand out, but they're... And they might even, like, steal the scene, per se, but he's not a... It's not like he's, a, like, a camera hog in a way. No, no, he's a team player. Yeah, totally sure. team player, so it's really fun to see him on a few of these teams. And so, so as far as favorite ensembles, uh, I'll go with Nobody's Fool. And then Leap of Faith. I'm assuming, of course, you're disqualifying Twister and Boogie Nights. Here yes, well, like I mean, yeah, you know what? I mean, yeah, <laughs> definitely not. I cannot include Twister and Boogie Nights because that'll be my answer for everything. 
Exactly. No, 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 no. And I, I agree with you there. I think Boogie Nights is just... I mean, there doesn't get many better ensembles than that one. No, that by far... <laughs> it's... Yeah, exactly. But you're right. Nobody's Fool... That's a great cast. Anchored by Paul Newman, of course. Yeah, and it's not like... I mean, he only has interaction with Paul Newman, so... You can always like you know like so a movie like Twister, a movie like Boogie Nights, he's in scenes with like multiple characters. So you can always argue like what does ensemble mean per se. True, you know, yeah. If we want to get into the semantics of it, I guess Leap of Faith would fit more into that definition. Yeah. So then maybe I'll have to go with that as the first one over Nobody's Fool because you got Steve Martin, you got Meatloaf. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about Meatloaf. I continue to forget about Meatloaf being yeah, in that Paradise film. by Dashboard Light, used in the movie. <laughs> so one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's short subjects was this thing called the 15-minute Hamlet. Yeah. Now, I know Kyle. I got excited. I thought it was Omelette. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a long time. To a ham Omelette. I see. That's up, right up your alley there. <laughs> no, but the 15-minute Hamlet, and I gotta be honest with you, I got a little scared because I'm not the best Shakespeare guy. And I, it sounds like gibberish to me. <laughs> But uh, it was actually not too difficult to find. It was on YouTube. It wasn't too difficult to find, and I actually ended up, I think we can both say, we really learned a lot. Yeah, we did. And, of course, for anything Shakespeare, where we're going to get confused, where he said the language is crazy, we're going to bring in our Shakespeare go-to guy. Yeah. Which you heard him on the Twister podcast. Shakespearean actor. Actor of other things as well, but he loves his Shakespeare. John Harden. We have a retainer on him. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. He's like a, on a Shakespeare retainer. And he was so... I knew he loved Shakespeare. I wasn't sure what his favorite play was, but apparently, you know, we learned he loved Hamlet. And he was so, like, passionate about Hamlet and this 15-minute Hamlet, which he'd never seen, by the way, that we probably recorded, like, 40 minutes with him. Definitely. And we're so... going to give you a little snippet. Yeah, right we're not going to play the whole thing. Don't worry. Yeah. However, I'm going to talk with Kyle, you know, while we play this clip. And yeah. we might... We might let you hear other Oh, there's things. some good stuff. We need to let people hear this conver- full yeah, conversation. We'll we talk have. about it. So we'll let you hear the snippet we play, and we'll take it from there. Get into it. So, no. John, we invited you back. Yeah. Uh, I know. talk a little bit Fooled about, you. <laughs> about uh, one of Philip Seymour Hoffman's projects, yeah. which is 15-Minute Hamlet. Yeah. This was an uh, inch. I, I'm, I'm bad. I don't understand... Shakespearean talk at all, especially when it's condensed into fifteen minutes. Uh, oh. Had you had you heard of think this at all, or like fifteen minute Hamlet? You or know, like someone who done I, this. I really should have because um, so this um, film is an adaptation of a play mm-hmm. by Tom Stoppard um, or Stoppard, depending on whether you ask an American or a British person. Okay. Um, but who's a very famous playwright um, and screenwriter. You would know his work because he wrote Shakespeare in Love. Okay. Oh. So yeah. So exactly. It's the most Shakespeare I know. There you go. The film <laughs> about Saving Private Ryan. Exactly. Um, How long should Hamlet usually run? Uh, anywhere from two and three quarters to four hours. What? Four um, hours. Yeah. Four a lot hours? of people. A lot of people actually um, talk about Hamlet as being like. A mandatory four hours. Oh, it's got to be four hours. Wow. That's just what it is. And there's some, there's some truth to some of what they're addressing because 
it's a very difficult play to cut. There are so many iconic lines. You yeah. heard many of them in this 15-minute yeah, piece, was, right? That was the job, of, the joke of this it. Was the, yeah, trying to cut it down to all the, the most, <laughs> you know, to all the most um, iconic stuff, and yet they still leave out so much. So, so I think it was this was on like Bravo or something because yeah. if you watch the YouTube, yeah. Yeah. it comes up with like some cheesy '90s Bravo thing. Yeah, it was super weird. Now, what year is this? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, Bravo yeah, Arena. Was music. Yeah, Chicago. <laughs> um, nineteen videotaped in the late nineteen eighties is all it has. But I, here, it's, that's know. not true. Yes, yeah. Oh, is that not true? He wasn't active. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, what the? Yeah, yeah it just looks like it. Um, I should do this. Produced and directed by a guy, guy named Todd Luiso. I don't and, know. And you know him. He's in the play. He plays like the woman. And you've seen him in other things, this guy. Oh. He's, um... From High Fidelity? High Fidelity, yeah. Oh. One of my favorite films. Yeah. He's in Jerry Maguire. Yes. He's like the babysitter. He's like some oh. guy. He like appears like here and there. Oh, thank yeah, you for I remember smoking. him. In <laughs> thank you for smoking. Yeah, he's like a little like... Jerry the jazz tape? Yeah, yeah. Coltrane. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. And then they're making... They're making out, and they're like, what are we listening to? <laughs> um, so this guy randomly directs this. I have no background. I tried to, like, find some things. Um, did you think it was a good version of it? Or for, I, backtrack, this 15-minute Shakespeare. Do you think this is a good concept or funny idea? Like, I think it's funny. I think it's actually, this film is incredible. I was really um, struck by it. First of all, you've got some great actors. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman doesn't, have as much to do, you know, Laertes, obviously, the way that they've cut this, all of those parts are a lot smaller. He still does some things that are pretty funny. I mean, he's throwing, the way that he sort of sloppily throws himself, Laertes has this bit where he, you know, dramatically throws, jumps into his sister's grave and says, bury us together, yeah. right? Very melodramatic moment. And Philip Seymour <laughs> Hoffman kind of like rolls and flops <laughs> in this hilarious way. But um, but uh, the thing that I thought was most cool about it was, I don't know if this is in the Stoppard play, but the bit at the end, which I didn't understand what the hell was happening at first, but essentially you have the 15-minute Hamlet, then you have all of these people that look very, very Shakespearean, era yeah. clapping for the film we just watched. <laughs> yeah, they're watching if, yeah, the film and the projector and everything. But somehow suggesting that it's not good enough, which I realized like, they only used lines from Hamlet, so that's part of what makes it difficult okay. to understand, I, I is that all of the dialogue in that scene is just lines from Shakespeare or lines from Hamlet. I think it's Hamlet exclusively, but certainly Shakespeare. And then we watch the Shakespeare character, I'm making air quotes, Cut. Bad guy from Air Force, by the way. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> cut um, cut the film even more. Yeah, two-minute cut, I think. Right, right, until there's a two-minute Hamlet that we then watch. And you just get... The, the point of this film seems to be some kind of, I would think, negative commentary. Because then at the end, you have everybody loving this yes. two-minute Hamlet and Shakespeare in the middle looking absolutely miserable. <laughs> um, but this idea of everything needing to be dumbed down, shortened to be more and more palatable and, and the idea of losing artistic expression because of that. So I wasn't expecting it to have that kind of sharp turn that it yeah, ended Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, I did I too. wonder if, so what's the, what's the actor, director's name again? Todd Luiso. Todd I Luiso. wonder if he was, you know, like 
trained stage actor. Yeah, I think to do and this and like to put the money behind it because he's the producer yeah. as well. You have to be love Shakespeare. So, I w- just like... so just from your telling of when I asked like how long is Hamlet, you know, like and you you know you said everywhere from two and a half to four hours. Maybe he's someone that was trained to always think that Hamlet was supposed to play out like for its entirety, and he was he saw it so. You know, chopped well, he probably, up so yeah, he probably times. like saw this play and so this on is some like, level yeah. and was like, "This is hilarious. Let me do it." That's what I wanted to ask because I found it funny, right, Kyle? Yeah. Oh, by you the find way, it funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like that. Honestly, I well, I find it much funnier now getting the. Well, that's what I was going to say. Sorry, by the way, this is ninety-five. I looked it up. Ninety-five. Okay, that's what Thank I was going to say. Like, did you find this funny? Like, oh, on, it's hilarious. on a different level, though, I'm imagining, oh. like than us because. Well, it's hard for me to answer that. I guess, but, but I, I, I think read my mind. I guess, <laughs> I guess my point is, I think it's more for no, you. Reading Kyle's mind. I think it's more for you than it is for us. Better work on. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I see what you mean. I think um, definitely. Especially the two-minute version, it's so much. It's very easy to follow the entire thing if you're very familiar with the script already, because the characters are instantly recognizable, and you have the same actor playing Polonius as plays Claudius. That's not confusing at all if you know who Polonius and Claudius are, like the back of your hand, you know. So I didn't have any trouble following it. I thought it was funny. Um, side note: um, the guy who Played Hamlet. Played Hamlet. Austin Pendleton. He, he's in My Cousin Vinny. He's like the. Bad, he is. He's the bad, the bad lawyer. Oh yeah. He's yeah. The, I'd um, seen him before. I just that like. Stutters to the judge. Yeah. Um. But he currently teaches acting at the HB Studio and directs at the New School. Um. But he also was artistic director for Circle Rep. Like he's really a big name. In New York theater. Oh wow! Okay. Um, he's pretty Should've damn instead of John. Yeah, pretty <laughs> damn well known. Um, you know, so that was really funny as well. Um, just to see him pop up, and yeah, his work as the—that's the term I wanted as the public defender in My Cousin Vinny. Yes. <laughs> um, where he's he's instantly recognizable here because you really he's like using a lot of the same kind of mannerisms yeah. just without the pronounced stutter. Um, but he kind of comes across the Interesting same Interesting that they went with, like, an older actor to play Hamlet. Yeah. I don't... Yeah, I'd be very interested to hear, like, were all these people friends, or... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I almost imagine like, they were, like, a troop at one point or something. Yeah, it had I, I wanted more of... background about this. Yeah, there yeah. was, unfortunately. It was very interesting. But, yeah, I mean, I thought it was great, you yeah. know? I don't think that... Because it... First of all, it clearly wasn't... I mean, the the thesis of the film seemed to be against the idea of abbreviating Hamlet, but also because, you know, I don't have any problem with adaptations of Shakespeare's work. I think most, the the opinion that I have heard spoken by some friends of mine that I usually ag- agree with is it's there's nothing wrong with doing something even really aggressive with a Shakespeare text. They're 400 years old. Everybody's seen it. You want to do something different. Um, that's great. I think the, the trouble comes when you call your crazy adaptation Hamlet. Well, John, thanks for coming on uh sure thanks yeah. for giving us hamlet thanks for, i feel like i don't know if you agree i feel like we learned i this is the most i've learned about anything in a long time <laughs> well you know i'm bound to do another hamlet i don't know if i'll get to play hamlet but um 
What I'm bound other... to do another Hamlet, guys. I'll be sure to let you know. Um, I'm currently in a production of Macbeth that's going up in Rowayton, Connecticut, with Shakespeare on the Sound. Uh, we're opening next week. I am playing the Porter, uh, which is a dirty, scuzzy, drunken knave of a part, and I cannot wait. I've been having a ton of fun. And what day do you open? Um, yeah, this is date? this is going to air June fifteenth. The... Yeah, so this is airing on the fourteenth. So, ladies and gentlemen, oh, great. So it opens tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, in the future. And, in the future. Uh, and it closes on July 2nd. Not too far from the New York Metro. <laughs> no, no. Right off the Metro North, actually. Rowayton has its own stop. Oh, cool. So, I yeah, which that. I will plan on using <laughs> to get to <laughs> rehearsal on Saturday. So, cool. uh, yeah, very excited. Well, John, again, thanks yeah. for coming on. And we Guys, look forward to having you in an episode in the future. It's a ton of fun. Thank you for, uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for teaching me, John. Can I get one more hardened bird? Anytime, Kyle. Yes. Anytime. Nice. I feel like I just got like a full semester. Yeah, right. Of Shakespearean like like AP whatever. Not not only is that a smart man, and we've called him out before because he he corrects us on all our grammatical errors and hey. stuff like that. If you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> yes, yes. But like you said. I feel like educated after that. That and I always love getting flip the bird from Mr. John. Hardy. Yes, he he does flip the bird. He to has that smooth particular. voice and that beautiful yeah, little finger. Yeah, that brooding <laughs> voice. So what do you think? What do you think about uh? Should we give the audience what they want? Yes, people. We're gonna release a nice special special since this is a special already. Yeah, it's almost like a special feature. Yeah, a special, special feature of the special episode. So if you liked that little bit on Hamlet. Yeah, you heard from John Hart in the fifteen-minute Hamlet, Hamlet itself. We will be releasing a, I'm not sure, but a longer, yeah, the longer unedited clip of John Harden talking about Hamlet. You'll enjoy that too. Trust me. Yeah, maybe you'll go check out some Bill Shakespeare after you hear this. So something that again we'll notice later about Philip Zimmerhoffen's career is that he'll work with some amazing people. Definitely. Not just directors, but I mean from. Early on, definitely did. So, so in this first third, who's the most like impressive person he worked with? Like your favorite lead in the film? I gotta go with my man, <laughs> it, the crawfish captain himself. I assume uh, Alec Baldwin. Yes. <laughs> no. Hoo <laughs> He won Best Actor, Pacino. Al Pacino, and again, it's a very mocked performance yeah. like later on but it's still a classic performance yeah, he gets to be on stage like what that was 92 that movie so in 1992 uh a young philip Seymour hoffman is in a scene with one of the greatest actors of all time on a stage like sharing i don't they don't like it's not like they have a back and forth dialogue but he gets to be there and witness this powerhouse and you know he's learning from him too definitely he's taking in all those little you know just the little minutia of from just facial gestures hand gestures i mean it, you know what the later he gets in his career like a movie like the master where he does raise his voice and stuff like that you could definitely you can see an appreciation for like some pacinos in there very fair I had two here that I wrote down. Mm -hmm. One of them was Nobody's Fool, again, with with Paul Newman. Yeah, Paul he, Newman. He, he's a powerhouse. And I, I'd seen it. Look, I've seen the classic Paul Newman films. Sure. But not enough to like say I've seen his whole career. And even at this age, he's just he commands the screen. 
The other one I would say... Diane Lane, My New Gun? <laughs> yes, Diane Lane, My New Gun. <laughs> no, I mean, and, you know, I like Diane Lane, but I whatever. Diane Lane. <laughs> Not that. We'll get into that film later. No, we'll never get into that film ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But my other one is definitely, I had to say it, but Boogie Nights. Oh, okay, sure. I mean, you can't use your Boogie Nights twister rule here, because you can't tell me there's a twister person that we'd put on the list. So are we going with Bert or are we going with Marky? I'm going no, I'm going with Bert Reynolds. Okay. Here. I just want these old veterans that like he's learning from. And hey man, I I give I mean, I get that, but as we discussed on the Boogie Nights episode, he was a dick. Oh yeah, yeah. Of course. But he still gave a great performance. Yeah, great performance. Um awesome. This is one of these old like old time actors who comes back for a later movie and just brings it, you know, and really stands out. Totally. I think something in common with Paul Newman and Burt Reynolds, and maybe that was just more of a thing at the time, it's just that vo- vocal presence. Yeah. Pacino has a different kind of vocal presence, you know? Yeah, exactly. But those guys are more like like the gravitas. Like, they talk and I listen. Who would win in a fight, Paul Newman or Burt Reynolds? Ooh. Huh. That's tough. <laughs> I, th- I think I think Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds has a little, he plays a little dirt, more dirty, you know? <laughs> That's, that's my Burt Reynolds. Like, that's your Burt Reynolds. Well. <laughs> Paul Newman gives too much a charity. He's kind of, you know, well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but Burt Reynolds feels like he'd go below the belt a little bit more. Yeah, he's definitely been, uh, I think, I, I guess I'll side with him too, just because he's got facial hair. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes Paul Newman has a mustache. It's true. <laughs> One of his last roles in a great film, Road to Perdition. Oh, yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> So, Kyle, someone I'm glad that you introduced me to, who I didn't know before we had met, was your old uh, college professor, Zach. Yeah, Zach Bressler. He's a he's a great guy, and as you learned on the Boogie Night episodes, I don't know exactly what title to give to him, but he's someone I'm happy that's in my life, and we always I always love working with him. Yeah, and then he had a great take on Boogie Nights. You can tell he really loves that film. And the man knows his music. That is true. That's why we decided to bring him on for this other thing we saw in Philip Schumerhoffen's IMDb, which was a music video, right? Yeah, he's so he's in a couple of music videos in his career, and this one is by Michael Penn, and it's kind of, well, you know what, you're going to hear about it, but it is a good tie-in to Boogie Nights. Yeah, so Zach on Michael Penn's Try. We're going to try to talk about it. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Zach. No problem. I uh, thought it was a good idea to bring Zach in, because... Uh, this is right around the same time as Boogie Nights, this uh, film that we're going to discuss. It's a yeah, music it, it's video. actually a music video. Yeah. So, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I didn't know this, did you, that he was in this nope. music video? For I've, never, I've never heard of the, never, this, the musicians Michael Penn. Before. <laughs> <laughs> so, 1997, this is Michael Penn Michael with Penn. Try. Yeah, Michael Penn is Sean Penn's brother. Yeah, not Chris Penn, not the, you That's know, Sean Penn's other brother, yeah. yeah. I. I, I he looks Look like back Michael and, Imperioli, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Michael Penn, the only I only know one song of his. Okay. And it's a song called No Myth. And it has this lyric about like black jeans. And I think I've heard it only like three or four times, but I remember black listening. Black jeans like, it's like wardrobe? Yeah, it's actually in one of our films, now that I remember it. It's in one of the films we shot in high school. Wow. Okay. Someone to dance with. Like that's <laughs> Okay. And I bought black jeans when I heard the song. But that's all I know about this guy. <laughs> Yeah, um, so you had never... No, I never did, so, but when, so I watched it, and then I looked, you know, I, I researched it a little bit, and we found, you know, and I found out that, uh, they, the, the, the crew of Boogie Nights made this 
while they were in post production. Wow, yeah, was, that's that's insane, and that's you know that's why uh, Thomas Jane's in it too. Really? Yeah, yeah he, he plays a basketball player. Yeah, it's a weeping like basketball. We, weeping, weeping. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Weeping oh basketball player. It's a very interesting. So it's uh, it makes sense because so P.T. Anderson directed, right? And P.T. Anderson wow. directed the video. And it's a one. Yeah. Like I questioned at first, you know, with movies well, now. Well, Michael like, Penn did the soundtrack, like the uh, score. Oh, okay. To Boogie Nights. So I guess they're like, hey, you want to help me? Keep out? it in the family. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Exactly. This awkward, this awkward Boogie Nights theme. Keep it in the family. Yeah. So I questioned at first, you know, you got movies like Birdman out there that the whole movie's supposed to be like one shot but clearly they like cheated that but this whole music video is just I imagine it's probably just like a square like hallway space and like almost looks like a you know high school or something or apartment complex I guess probably it looks more apartments and it's this is one long shot that follows yeah. uh, Michael Penn around and we get Philip Seymour Hoffman not much to Talk about him, except he's funny he's, in this brief moment. But he's Scotty J in in like modern times. Yeah, modern times yeah. in the nineties. Yeah. He has he's got not as long a hair, and he seems a little actually a little, little huskier. But he's got like a five o'clock shadow, mm-hmm. and he's but he's working the he's working the boom the boom, the boom right? and like yeah, handing yeah. him like yeah. then like the other microphone, and he's just like in like two shots but yeah like you said like Tom Jane's in it mm-hmm. P.T. Anderson directed it and then Michael Michael Penn did the music for Boogie Nights it's a better film for like a better word than a song I'd say yeah. unless you unless you like the song I don't I know. look into I know yeah. P.T. Anderson has done other mu- songs kind of cookie cutter yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's kind it. of bland yeah but the video is very good it's, yeah, it's, it's, that's it's awesome. a very and you can see it on video. YouTube yeah, so do do we know if this was P.T. Anderson's first music video? I know he's done other like he's done one like ones with like I'm not sure. I didn't even know P. It, he's P.T. Anderson probably done directed like Radiohead ones now, right? Yeah, I think oh, he did one sense. like yeah. one with like Bjork also, did and he? then he did one recently too. What an upgrade with musicians who do your soundtrack. By yeah, the way. <laughs> Michael, Michael Penn or Radiohead. Let's <laughs> <laughs> wow. But yeah, that was. I mean, this is just a fun little uh, music video that. Philip Hoffman got to be a part of. Yeah, so I would definitely check it out because yeah, it's one, easy. It it's on YouTube. Yeah, it doesn't it's take a lot of your time. To check out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not good. a bad song. It's no, just no, no, it's just nothing. It's very nineties. Yeah, it's nothing that's gonna stick in your head. It's very, like something like yeah. Third Eye Blind or something. <laughs> shit like that. But yeah, Try by Michael Penn, uh, co-starring Philip Seymour Hoffman, our guy, Hoffman, our man. So thanks, Zach, so yeah. much for oh, chiming in on this one. Yeah, thank you. So yeah, like you said, Kyle, we'll see Philip Seymour Hoffman in a couple other music videos, but yeah, I mean, this wasn't the biggest hit with us, and I don't know how big <laughs> of a hit it was back in the. But 90s. I mean, it's directed by P.T. Anderson, which we which we found out. Directed by P.T. Anderson, and just yet again another little fun performance by Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'll take it. Yeah, I'm glad that we know about it now, because yeah. I, I would have never known about this. Sure. Kyle, as we went through his IMDb and tried to like tackle all, the, all these short projects, mm-hmm. there was one film we couldn't find, which is funny because we found all the feature films. wasn't easy, but we did. Yeah, but we did, and then even these, come on, like Law & Order, uh, these music videos, they're up on the internet, but this one short film we couldn't find and the thing is the short film was nominated for an Oscar yeah this was more surprising than us finding Joey Breaker or yeah. Schuler. It, it was called Culture Culture and the directors are, are directors of films now yeah they have like some notor- notoriety to them so we're gonna do a little bit of a cheat guys sorry we wouldn't have done this if we found it but it technically came out 
during this first third. Yeah. But was wide released in the next third. Yeah. So we're gonna count it as we're gonna give us that buffer time. Yes. Yeah, so, so to try to find. Give it. us what will probably amount to a couple months to find this one, and we'll probably recap culture in our next in between special episode. So sorry. I mean. Yeah. Like I said, if we Got found us, it, we would have done yeah. it. But <laughs> whoops, that one's on us. <laughs> but now we're gonna talk just a nice little, just back to basics, just like the beginning episodes. Brian and I covering this last little topic of it's a what was it exactly a tv movie a documentary series yeah kyle actually this is funny it's called liberty the american revolution it was a um historical documentary that aired on pbs that i actually watched as a child oh really yeah and I always wanted to track this down, and for years I couldn't find it until we started doing this podcast. I'm like, what is Liberty? And I looked it up, and I'm like, holy, holy shit, this is what I saw as a kid. Like, my mother used to, I guess we're getting intimate childhood details in my life, but my mother used to tell me it was on. I used to take like a really quick shower and run to my mother's bedroom and just like sit down and watch this before I went to bed. It aired from like either 8 to 9 or 9 to 10, you know? It came out in 1997. Yeah, so I mean I was pretty young. Yeah, it was like six hour long episodes. Yeah, so so they aired it like either five nights, six nights in a row. They might have aired two at once. It, it oh, was this okay. like whole thing and it was like I remember it being awesome because what they would do is they would talk about the revolution, you know, like a, like a documentary, but it was a little different than Ken Burns style because they would take actors and they would have actors be on screen, almost like reality show confessional things. Yeah, play like important figures from that time. Yeah, or people who, or they, had, even... who they had letters from. Yeah, insightful. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman plays this He's not really a character because he's a real person, yeah. but he's just like a regular common soldier named Joseph Plum Martin. And that name actually always stuck stuck with me for years, and I didn't realize that it was him playing. Were you Plum surprised? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> I guess, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so when I saw this, I'm like, oh my god, he was that guy? Yeah. And it was awesome, and, and he does a really great job. We're not going to go into the plot of this, no. because it, we'd literally be telling you what happened in the American Revolution. But uh, he does a really, really awesome job, and his clips are just on YouTube. Yeah. But, but I suggest like checking out the series as well. It's one of the better Revolutionary War documentaries. Yeah, you know what? We'll play one little audio clip for you right now. Awesome. Yeah, they put me in this regiment, half New Englanders and half Pennsylvanians. These folks are as different as night and day. And myself, I'd rather be fighting with a tribe of Indians and with these Southerners. And the foreigners can hardly speak English. They don't like me either. And they call me that damn Yankee. That's about the nicest thing they say. Hey, PSH, we got, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joseph Plum Martin. <laughs> Works. The, the three-name thing. No, like I said, I think he does a great job. And this is, I'm a history buff, and this is like one of the first like, Revolutionary War documentaries I ever saw, and it really got me into just, like, studying and reading about the Revolutionary War. So I was super excited to see that he was in it and uh, really happy to, just, I guess, like, share that now. Definitely. I, w I would like to check it out further and find, like, you know, a better quality than YouTube out there. And yeah, yeah. yeah. I wonder if it's on, like, a PBS On Demand. We didn't really Maybe. check. But... I'll have to talk to my buddy Ken Burns. Oh, I was like, Whatever. <laughs> Okay, Kyle, so part of the fun of this is the fact that, yes, we're ending the early 
chapter of his career. Yes. But we're entering the meat of his career. Yes. The middle third of the his middle career. The middle act, what in most, you know, trilogies, like Empire Strikes Back. The Dark One. The d- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if this is... The, I mean, I, I, it could be considered a little dark, but this is this is the one where he's got a lot of these great roles. Yeah. So I'll ask you, and it might be a tough question, which film are you looking forward to watching again and then us discussing <sighs> Oh my god, here? this... I don't... You, you I, I'm, no. You have to. You have to go first. Tell me yours. I'm going. Okay. Hmm. I figured you'd go first. And nope. I would play the uh, the wimp here and nope. just go off your totally. answers. I'm I'm accepting the role of the wimp. Yep. Okay. So I guess the two films that I'm looking forward to, if we're picking two, whatever, because uh-huh. I, I I can't narrow it down to one. Yeah. You can never. Looking forward to Almost Famous. Yeah. Because just you know that that that. Lester Bangs, oh. and he—he's not the lead again, but he just—he plays no, just such it's a just such a beautiful, simple part of just like anybody that just wasn't cool or didn't feel cool. Yeah, his lines. I mean, yeah. he plays a real guy too, and he's just yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that one. Watch that one. It's a great movie as well. And the other one, believe it or not, is a long came Polly because ah, my God. so many people have referenced this film, this romantic comedy that you know. You bastard! We we've talked about this movie for years, so this is just going to be a it, fun episode. It's by far one of my favorite comedic performances of all time, <laughs> of all time, not just his. Which which of is crazy time. to say because if you just saw this movie on paper or just the yeah. script, you'd be like, "I'm not watching this crap." Brian, you just made it rain. <laughs> and. Okay, right. Kyle, so you can't pick those. Pick one or two. Well, those picks. are clearly my picks. <laughs> I didn't know. No. You, you're no. the one who said, uh, I, I you made me the white no. pieces. You made me go No, first. that's fine. So I'm going to match your Along Came Polly and Almost Famous with Punch Drunk Love. Okay, another P.T. Anderson. You're a P.T. Anderson yeah. guy. And more than Punch Drunk Love, because we're totally including this part. The Mattress Man commercial. Okay, okay, fair. <laughs> so, uh, that, and I'm going to go with uh, Mr. Freddie Miles from Talented Mr. Ripley. Nice. Simply for the line that we even use in the intro of our show, which is, as the peeping Tommy. <laughs> and then his scene in that movie where he's just taunting Matt Damon and playing... Like, Matt Damon's trying to talk to him, and he's just playing these dissonant notes on the grand piano. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was it's great. It's masterful. Can't wait for that one, too. And there's so many other good roles. Yeah, like, like I think of, uh, first of all, Big Lebowski. Big that's Lebowski, Flawless, Magnolia. Happiness. I mean, Happiness. That's going to be an interesting episode. Oh, my God. I know, And I know we have some guests that we've already got lined up for some episodes that are really excited for some of these films. Um, and, yeah, it's... I cannot wait for this next. Yeah, we're getting into the meat. Career. We're getting into the meat, like I said, and and this is maybe it's this middle part, like that made us want to do this podcast. I cannot wait, and I hope you guys are excited as we are because we're in for some treats ahead. So we're curious to what you guys think of the first third of his career, or even the podcast in general. Um, comment in our uh, comment section when you listen to this podcast. Yeah, you've Shoot been us a awesome. message. You've been awesome. It's really been building up. Yeah, we've gotten some great messages from fans and just people who love. I mean, when I say fans, I mean Hoff fans. The know? Hoff fans. Who yes. cares about us? But like, <laughs> just really other people who love his work and love yeah. all his films, just like us. Yeah, you know, PSH is our conduit to you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next week we're gonna have a, a movie I'd never seen. Unfortunately, yes, in a state I've never been to. Yes, the film is called Montana. 
Mm-hmm. I think it might be a little step back from Pookie Nights. A little, But yeah. that's okay because it has Stanley Tucci, one of my favorites. Aha! Stanley <laughs> Tucci. You have his cookbooks. Yes, I do own his cookbooks because he's an awesome man. I like and joining us, our guests. And joining us, our guests, like we said, our most frequent guest, Jenny O'Connell will be there because she's also Boom. Wham, a bam, thank uh, Stanley you, Tucci she is. She's diehard. A, a More tu- than me, I'd a tu- say. A Tucci night. A Tucci night, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so like, follow, subscribe, share, do all the things to, to just share what we're doing with the world. Please, so, we, yeah. so we can just you know celebrate this man who we love dearly. Oh, and by the way, we we took some of your suggestions and we kind of molded them together. And we finally decided on an outro. If you don't like it, let us know. But we kind of like it here. And I'm going to throw it away to Kyle. So, Kyle? I'm honored. Thank you. P.S. Stay on cool, Hoff fans. P.S. Stay on cool. I love it. Sexy things, sexy things. I believe in miracles.